It's our privilege this morning to hear the Word of God, to take us back to the opening days of the first Christmas season. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. It says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How would this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God use and bless his word in our lives today. Well, we take a look again at Luke chapter 1 this morning. Did anybody ask you this week, uh, are you ready for Christmas? Did anybody ask you that question uh, this week? Well, let me ask you that question. Are you ready for Christmas? We're seven days closer than we were when we gathered uh, last week. Uh, have you used the last seven days uh, to work on your to-do list? Do you feel like, yes, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm ready for this, or do you still feel overwhelmed and maybe even more overwhelmed because you lost seven days uh, this week in terms of Christmas preparation? Last week, we, we talked about Christmas as really the experience and the reality of God breaking into this world in a way that He's never broken in before. And we talked last week about Zacharias was not ready for Christmas. God broke into that moment there as He stood in the holy place getting ready to present an in, a sacrifice of incense to God. And the angel came and spoke to him and dramatically changed his life in that moment. And it took a little while for Zacharias to catch up. Zacharias was not exactly ready for Christmas. Well, if you think if you think Zacharias wasn't ready for Christmas, think about Mary. Think about Mary as a person completely unprepared for the breaking in of God that came in the passage that we read about today. That's what we're going to do is kind of see the Christmas story unfolding and preparing through the eyes of, of Mary. And one of the things, as we just dive right into it, one of the things that I want you to know is that for Mary, Christmas came like a bolt from the blue. I mean, just came out of nowhere. 
Now, if you take a look at the passage, one of the things that I really like about the passage is that at the beginning of the chapter, we are counting time based on Herod, the king of Judah, or king of Judea. But now, in the middle of the chapter, we are counting time from the pregnancy of Zacharias and Elizabeth. It is no longer the days of Herod, king of Judea. It is in the sixth month. It is in the fifth month, the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. Now, Mary doesn't know anything about this. Uh, Elizabeth lives at some distance away. Even though they're family, even though they're related, they, they have not interacted. They do not know this. Elizabeth has not posted anything on Facebook. Nobody has any way uh, of knowing uh, about this kind of information. And so Mary does not know this thing that has happened. Elizabeth has kept this guarded and quiet because there's a lot of explaining to do uh, inside of that story. As far as Mary knows, she knows nothing of that. As far as Mary knows, they are still in a season that they would call the silent years, where for centuries God has not broken in. God has not sent a prophet. God has not sent visions. He has not sent dreams. He has not spoken directly to the people. She knows nothing about the fact that there has been a break and a crack that has already begun. As far as she knows, she is in the midst of centuries since God has spoken in a dramatic, supernatural, miraculous way. And then all of a sudden, from the very presence, the very throne room of God, here comes Gabriel, and he stands before Mary. And he gives Mary this incredible greeting that says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Man, what a powerful information is packed right into there. There is something that says to Mary, God has noticed you. God sees you. God is pleased with you. You have found the favor of God. There's another part of this that says you are the one who has been chosen from God. And God is with you. It's a dramatic moment. It comes out of the blue. Mary has no way of seeing it coming. One of the things that I think is important for us to just kind of be refreshed in our understanding is that Mary was young. I don't know how you define young. I define young differently every year. It gets a little, young gets a little bit older all the time. And I think sometimes we look at the pictures and we look at the cards and we see the way that Mary is Mary is portrayed. She is young. But the passage tells us that she is betrothed to a man named Joseph, who is of the house and the lineage of David. And if we go back to first century culture and first century way of life, one of the things that we discover is that a woman, and maybe I should say girl, is betrothed someplace between the ages of 12 and 14. So you may be thinking, Mary was young. She was 25. Mary was young. She was 18. Mary was young. She was 16. I think it's quite possible that we've got to go further down that line. This is, is hardly more than a girl. 
And so when she sits wherever she is in this moment and the angel Gabriel appears to her and has a message from God and the word says to her, you are the one who is favored of God and God is with you. It's a pretty dramatic moment. There's very few things in her life that have prepared for her for this kind of moment. And of course, it comes with the requisite statement don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, of course, that's easier said than done. Don't be afraid. But out of the blue, out of nowhere, comes this announcement to this incredibly young girl of this incredibly dramatic moment where the Spirit of God moves. The angel of the Lord speaks to her, calls her by name, calls her favor, says, God is with you. It is large. And, of course, the statement is, do not be afraid. I, I think that that's a great statement. It's a great reminder that we are not to be uh, afraid. It's a statement that comes often. It's the same statement that came to Zacharias. It's a statement that, that comes to many people when they have an encounter with God. Do not be afraid. But I worry sometimes. I worry about myself. I worry sometimes about the gathered church. I might worry about our church sometimes. That we're never tempted to be afraid. Nobody has to come to us as we gather before God and say, don't be afraid by what you've seen and by what you've heard. Is it because we haven't gotten close enough to the things of God? Is it because we haven't been attentive enough to the things of God, that it hasn't even crossed our mind to be afraid. Now listen, hear me, hear me, hear me. God is not a God of intimidation. He is not a God of fear, but He is a God of awe. And one of our commitments in every way possible is that this church would be one of the safest places in town in every way possible. But we want it to be true that this church is the safest place possible to meet and experience the most dangerous God. Annie Dillard has written about her concern along this same concept. She says she worries that the church gathered is like children playing. But what they're playing with is dynamite. She says... Back in the day, we would come in with fancy hats, big hats, straw hats, nice hats. And she says, sometimes I wonder if instead of coming in dressed with our fancy hats, that the ushers should be handing out crash helmets at the door. 
Because we don't understand how large and how great and how awesome and how mighty and how dramatic and how life-changing God is. He's not a God of fear. He's not a God of intimidation. But I think sometimes we forget that He's a God of awe. Maybe, maybe it would be good to greet people at the door and says, now don't be afraid. This is safe. Don't be afraid. This is safe. You are about to encounter the awesome God who is about to give you the ability to change and transform your life. The God of eternity, the God of all time is about to be right here in this place. But it's going to be safe. It's going to be okay. I think sometimes we have skipped past the awe. I will tell you that Mary's reaction, <laughs> Mary's reaction is that she fastens on a crash helmet. She knows that if God comes and speaks to her and says, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. She kind of buckles up because she knows that the next sentence, whatever follows this, is going to be large. And it's going to be life-changing. Did you come to church this morning prepared for your life to be changed? Did you come this morning prepared for the Word of God to speak into your life in some transforming person that meant that when you leave this place, you are not the same in any way at all? It's safe. Oh. But He is an all-inspiring God. And that's where we've come this morning. For Mary, Christmas comes like a bolt from the blue. She doesn't see it coming in any way whatsoever. Christmas also comes with a divine distinction. Christmas also comes with a divine distinction. I want to take just a moment and I want to jump ahead several chapters in the book of Luke. It's almost toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up to one of the mountain peaks, probably Mount Hermon, and at the top of Mount Hermon, Jesus has a divine encounter with two of the great folks from the Old Testament. One is Moses. We've spent some time talking about Moses. Mo Moses knew some good things on the top of a mountain. And the second is Elijah the greatest of the prophets. And for some period of time, Moses and Elijah meet with Jesus on the top of that mountain, and they encourage Jesus. I don't know what they said. Part of the reason why I don't know what they said is that Peter, James, and John fell asleep. They slept through basically the whole thing. When they wake up, Peter's like, whoa, this is awesome. And basically, Peter says, we ought to build a museum here. And we ought to make three different displays, one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for you, Jesus. 
And the voice of God speaks into that, Moses, into that moment and says, this one, this one is my son. Listen to him. There's Moses, big deal. Elijah, big deal. But Jesus is my son. He is the one that we listen to. What an important moment where you take two of the greatest heroes from all of Scripture, add them to Jesus, and the word is Jesus. Jesus above Moses. Jesus above Elijah. Jesus is different than even these. There's no three tabernacles. There's no three museum pieces. There's one. It's my son. And you listen to him. Luke walks us through these cracks into this world where God is about to break into this world. And the first crack is the story of Zacharias and the angel, the same angel, comes and speaks to Zacharias and says, you're going to have a son and it's going to be miraculous. And now he comes and he speaks to Mary and says, you're going to have a son and it's going to be miraculous. But that's the last similarity. Because you see, Zacharias' son was going to point people to God. Mary's son was going to be God. There's a distinction. There is a difference in this moment. This Jesus, he's the one. Listen to him. He is different than everything else that has ever existed. They're similar. But hear the difference. That difference is emphasized in several different ways here in this passage. The whole rest of the book of Luke, the whole rest of the Gospels, the whole rest of the New Testament, the whole rest of the Bible is to tell you that Jesus is above everything. But in this passage... We, we, we see some of those seeds. One of those seeds that there is a divine distinction is that Mary, you're going to have a child. And Mary's like, hold, hold up. I'm betrothed, not married. I've never experienced intimacy. I'm not currently experiencing intimacy. I don't expect to be experiencing intimacy. And Gabriel says, it is the Spirit of God that's going to come upon you. The Spirit of the Most High is going to be the one who causes this one to be conceived inside of you. We refer to this as the virgin birth. One born of a virgin it's a pretty big deal. It's a divine distinction. It has only happened, let me count, once. One time in all of history. One time, all of the time leading up to Mary. One time in all the time since Mary. One time all the way forward. One time ever. It's a divine distinction. 
only for Jesus. It's a big deal because what's happening here at Christmas is that the Word, God, becomes flesh and He dwells among us. Jesus is going to be 100% man and 100% God. I didn't do so great in that part of science with the, the seeds and, and all of this stuff and a little bit of this and all the DNA things and all those things. And I would tell you that even if I had done well in those classes, I couldn't explain this to you. But I will tell you that it is through the virgin birth when the conception happens inside of Mary by way of the Holy Spirit, the Lord of the Most High, the Spirit of God comes upon her, that it is possible for Jesus to be 100% human and 100% God. Now, it makes Mary scratch her head. It's going to make every single person that Mary tells this to the rest of her life kind of scratch their head and laugh, roll their eyes, question. And when Mary says, I'm young, but I understand this, the angel of the Lord says, with God, there's nothing that's impossible. Now, I don't know what goes through your mind when we talk about this. I don't know whether you hear this statement that, that Jesus is conceived of the virgin. If you say, okay, that's just one of the, the sections of the Bible that we just kind of read and it's nice, but I don't necessarily know that it's true. Well, I will tell you that the reason why we struggle in that place or that someone may struggle with that place is because it's impossible. It only happened once. Which makes us wonder, did it really happen then? But you've got to understand, if you've got a God, well, if you have a God that doesn't do impossible things, that's not a God. It's just a person who dresses better than you. If you have a God, if there is a God, you know what the God is going to do? He's going to do impossible things. You exist Because you are part of a world that he spoke into existence. You're impossible. I know people have told you that before. <laughs> but your existence is the result of God doing impossible things. So don't look around and say, well, I'm the last impossible thing God could have done. No. God is going to do impossible things. So this virgin birth is a divine Distinction. The description for John is that he was going to prepare the one for the one who was coming. Jesus is the one who's coming. In fact, you see the descriptions here in the passage of who he is. He says in verse 30, um, in verse 31, he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Lord saves. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, not Joseph, but his father 
David. He will reign over the house of Jacob for a long time. No, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. At the end of verse 36, he will be called holy, the Son of God. The one who is to be conceived in Mary, the one who is to be her son, is holy and eternal. That's a divine distinction. I would also tell you that in this passage of Scripture, we have the fullness of the Godhead revealed. Now when I talk about the fullness of the Godhead revealed, you also could use the language that we could say, what you have here is the, the triune God revealed. You also could use the word Trinity. Now here's the thing. The more you talk about the Trinity, <laughs> the higher the likelihood is you get something wrong. It's beyond our minds, and so I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity to you, but I will tell you that in this passage of Scripture, I want you to see that we have God the Father. I want you to see that we have the Spirit of God, and we have the Son of God. I want you to know that the three of them, just as they are in this passage, are three distinct persons. There is God. There's the Spirit, God the Father. Then there's God the Spirit. And there is this one who is the Son, the Eternal One, called Jesus. But what we're also going to see throughout the revealing of Scripture is that the three are distinct and the three are one. Jesus will spend a great deal of time saying, The Father and I are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Scripture tells us that the Spirit and the Son are the same. The Spirit and the Father are the same. I can't explain it, but I can point to it. And it's right here in this passage. And so, for Peter as he wakes up from his nap, and for all of us, as we reflect on the Word of God and everything since, we can divide the world into two different categories. There's Jesus and everything else. Jesus and everything else. So as you're trying to sort all the people, all the things, all the moments, all the greatness in the world, and you say, does this go in the Jesus category or the everything else category? Let me tell you, it goes in the everything else category. Jesus. It's Jesus. It's God, holy, the Son of God. God himself who became flesh and dwelt among us. Christmas comes with a divine distinction, and Mary has to begin to process that information. I would also tell you that Christmas comes, Christmas comes with a choice of a lifetime. Christmas comes with a choice of a lifetime. Put yourself 
and Mary's sandals. A bolt from the blue to your adolescent self. A divine conception. All that that's going to mean. All of the conversations that that's going to mean in her life. But what it seems to tell us is that this leaves Mary with a choice. It leaves Mary with a choice whether she receives this or whether she rejects this, whether, whether she says yes to this. She's got to deal with the fact that this is impossible. And it's at this point that the angel says, remember Elizabeth? Poor, poor Elizabeth, who's old and never had kids. She's six months pregnant because God does impossible things. But it still leaves Mary with a choice. It still leaves her with a decision to make. The fact is that Mary is going to say, I am the Lord's servant let it be done to me according to your word. She submits her life, her body, her future, her everything to God and says, whatever God wants, that's what I'm going to do. Now, it wasn't a straight line for Mary. As dramatic as this moment is, as bold as her submission to God is, as right as her heart and her spirit is, I think she spent a good part of the rest of her life trying to keep up spiritually. Remember when Jesus is missing when he's 12 and they can't find him? And there's a little bit of panic as there would be in any parent's heart. And they, they find Jesus in the temple, not taking notes, but giving notes. And they're like, where were you? Where, where were you? He said, well, of course, I would be in my father's house. It, it took a few moments for Mary to catch up. In the town of Cana at a family wedding, there's a crisis. Mary has some sense of who Jesus is. He says, Jesus, can you fix this? And Jesus says, my, my time's not yet come. She's still trying to understand what this means. She spends time trying to catch up. There even seems to be a couple of moments back in Nazareth where Jesus is causing so much upheaval and confusion that Jesus' brothers and Mary come to him so why don't you just come home with us? Why don't you tamp this down just a little bit? I would say that when we submit our lives to God and say, here is my life, here is my future, here is my body, here is who I am, it's quite possible that we've still got a little bit of a road in front of us. And it may be that some, oh, I can't do that. I don't know if I can do all of the things that are in front of me. Well, that's okay. 
Even Mary spent some time trying to keep up. And you probably will as well. But Mary did say yes. She believed that God could do the impossible. She received the encouragement that her relative Elizabeth was with child. Just as I think about this passage, I, I think one of the things that I think is important to know is that Mary was fully capable of saying yes and fully capable of saying no. I just think that's the way God creates us. From our creation in the garden, He's always given us the ability to say yes, and He's given us the ability to say no. I would also say to you that she has the ability to say yes, and she has the ability to say no, because every person who has ever lived has the ability to say yes and has the ability to say no. And part of what I mean by that is that somebody who seems far off, someone who seems incredibly unlikely to ever say yes to God, they can say yes to God. Whether it is a life of sin, whether it's a life of ignoring God, whatever it may be, that person can say yes to God. Even an adolescent girl tucked away in a tiny village of Nazareth it would almost never be heard from if it wasn't for these events. Even she can say yes to God. But I would also tell you it's possible for any person to say no to God. It is possible for someone to hear from God through an angel and say no. It is possible for someone to say, listen, here's the miracles that are happening all around you, and for that person to say no. It is possible to sit in the same seat at church every single week to grow up in church, for everybody to know your name in church, for you to know all the things in church, and to say no. To have always just kept the movement, the invasion of God at a safe distance. Any person can say yes, and any person can say no. What's been your choice? What's been your decision? Is it that you're supposed to say yes to God today? Maybe you have been saying no for a long time now. But the Spirit of God, that holy presence of God Himself, says to you, there's no more reason to say no. There's no more reason to say no. You, you, you can say yes to God. You can say yes to receive Him as the one who forgives you of every piece of brokenness and sin inside of your life. 
You can say yes to him as the master, lord, boss, overseer of your life. You can say yes to him as the person who will direct your future, your body, your being, everything that you are as you give your life to him. Let's pray together.